I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. So let's look at our passage together. If you would, turn to uh, Luke 13. And as I know, many of you uh, today are thinking about your uh, mothers. I'm certainly uh, thinking about mine. And she's been in heaven now nearly 16 years. That's hard for me uh, to believe. But this coming September will be 16 years. And the older I get, the more and more grateful I am for the influence of uh, such a wonderful, godly mother. She truly was. Uh, now, I must say, I was not always grateful for her when I was a boy. There were some moments when she was just totally uh, uh, not understanding what it was to grow up as a young man with all of the angst and struggles we had. She just did not quite see it that way. My mom was a firm believer in education. She really believed in education. And she also believed that often, sometimes, lessons had to be applied to the seat of learning. Yeah. <laughs> Very capable in that way, I might add. And I, as I think back, she had a way of just telling me that I needed to change the way I was behaving. I think it's just expression came out of the hills of Kentucky from where she was raised. And she would say, young man, I will straighten you out. <laughs> I will straighten you out. And I knew exactly what that meant. Uh, she could straighten you out physically <laughs> and uh, straighten you out behaviorally. She was quite successful at both. But you know, this week I, re I recalled a very precious moment uh, when my mother straightened me out emotionally. And I wasn't a boy. I was 30 years of age, and it was just a few days before I came here to Knoxville with Susan, and we came to start our ministry here at West Park. As many of you know, I had been in youth ministry up in Ohio for uh, almost seven years, and the Lord, in an amazing way, remarkable way, uh, opened the door and gave the call to come here. Uh, to uh, shepherd and pastor a small group of believers that were here, wonderful folks. But I must tell you, uh, I kept a brave face about it, but I was more than a little overwhelmed at the prospect. As a matter of fact, uh, at times, uh, knee-knocking fearful about it. I hadn't really pastored uh, I'd been in youth ministry. Uh, I was feeling like I wasn't up to the task. Uh, and quite anxious, really. And I didn't say anything about it. But I remember when one afternoon, Susan and I were starting to pack up as we'd been visiting our folks there in Indiana. And I was back there in the room, and Mom made her way back there. And I'll never forget this. She put her hands right on my shoulders, right here. Very unlike her. She's a quiet woman. 
and looked me right in the eyes. And with her hands on my shoulders, she said, Son, you're going to be a wonderful pastor. I cannot tell you what that meant. I cannot tell you. I've never forgotten it. Just to have my mom believe in me and, and to speak courage and faith into me. And she knew that I was struggling. She knew me, knew her son. But I want you to know, in the, that moment, the, these sagging shoulders straightened up just a little bit. And uh, I had courage and fortitude to come on with God's blessing. It's wonderful to have your parents' blessing on you. And not just to know it in your heart, but to hear it and to feel it. And so that day she gave me some real words of faith and words of love and words of hope. And um, my dad always said my mom was the queen of the house. He called her the queen. And on that day, though, the queen spoke for the king. She spoke for the king, and that's what I want us to think about this morning, is when our king straightens things out, straightens lives out with the power of his word. And so I want us to turn to this passage and see here in this passage that there are, in this unique event in the life of Jesus, where a woman was doubled over in oppression and pain, no doubt rejection and depression, that the Lord in His grace performed a miracle of straightening her out physically, straightening her out spiritually, and also He straightened some other folks out while He was doing it. So I want you to notice in this passage, let's look at it again. John read it for us. But here we see several ways that Jesus straightens things out. Several ways in which Jesus straightens things out. Now notice here, this is a Sabbath worship service. And our Lord is in the synagogue and he is there leading in worship. And while he is leading in worship... He's teaching the Word of God. He sees this woman. And his heart is touched for her terrible condition. And we see in his interaction with this woman and then with others how he straightens people's lives out. Notice here that he straightens people's lives out with compassion for bondage of the hurting people. Compassion for the bondage of the hurting. Now what an example that we have here of bondage and pain. Here is this woman and we're told for 18 years she has suffered with this malady. For 18 years she's been in this condition. It's some form of spinal spondylosis where her, her spine is just 
fused, the bones fused together, and she's perpetually bent over, unable to do anything but just glance above the ground from time to time. Her entire life is shuffling along, looking at the ground. What a sad condition. Can you imagine? Great preacher Spurgeon said this about this lady. She walked about as if she were searching for a grave. She walked about as if she were searching for a grave. What a sad condition. But even more touching is the terrible cause that brought this condition. Now we're told here that this woman had a disabling spirit. Do you notice this? It says there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. A disabling spirit. That's the only time that phrase is used. A disabling spirit. And it means not her spirit, but it means an evil spirit. A demonic spirit. Now, this is not describing demonic possession. This woman is not possessed of an evil spirit. We know that because Jesus refers to as a daughter of Abraham. When he uses that term, daughter of Abraham, that means someone who is recognized as being in the community of the faith of Israel. She is a daughter of Abraham. She does not belong to uh, the devil. She belongs to Jehovah God. And we also see that she's not demon possessed because she's faithful in worship. Here she is in spite of her condition, in spite of her pain, in spite of the fact that many people would reject her, thinking maybe it's sin in her life that's brought this malady, this woman comes faithfully to the services in the house of God. One example. One example. As I was thinking about this woman this week, I thought of a, many individuals in our church who over the years, in spite of an terrible situations, physical troubles and trials, yet they're faithful to the house of God. I remember Tim, who's now with the Lord, and he suffered with such back pain. It was terrible. So painful that the only way he could stay in a service was to stand at that back wall back there and push his back against the wall. And he practically never missed a Sunday of worship. While we were standing seated, he would have to be there with his back against the wall. I'm thinking of a dear brother Jeff, who's in my men's group, meets on Tuesday morning. Terrible back pain. Incredible, excruciating pain. You see it on his face. But that brother, Tuesday morning, after Tuesday morning, after Tuesday morning, 6.30, is in that group. That's humbling. And it's inspiring. This lady is a daughter of Abraham. 
And she's not experiencing demonic possession. Notice carefully, listen. She is experiencing, though, demonic oppression. Demonic oppression. This illness, this condition is an oppression of the enemy on her life. Now, not all illness is a result of demonic oppression. As a matter of fact, very rarely, as I said, this is the only time this kind of terminology is used about a physical ailment that is caused of the devil. But our God, who is absolutely sovereign, right? Our God, who is sovereign and Satan isn't. Our sovereign God at times allows His servants to experience... Yes, the oppression of the enemy. That they, in that oppression, may exalt God's grace and glory. How about Job? The greatest of all the men of the East. A blameless man in his character, as people would value that. And yet... God sovereignly allowed him to be oppressed of the enemy. Why did he allow Satan to oppress Job? To show for all time immoral, immemorial. That's easy for you to say, okay. I'm a trained professional, give me time here. Don't try this at home. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Why did he allow Job to suffer that way? To prove, listen, that a person who loved God would serve him out of love and for no other reason. Satan said it can't happen. No one can be loved like that. No one can love like that. God said, go ahead. And God sustained Job. So Job is a testimony this very day of faithfulness and oppression. We read of Paul who was oppressed with some affliction that's called a, a stake from the enemy. And he begged God for it to be removed. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's what's going to happen. My strength is going to be shown to be complete in your weakness. Paul said, okay then. I'll glory in my infirmities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I will take this if the power of Christ can rest upon me. What about Jesus himself? Sinless, but oppressed by the enemy on a regular basis. My friends, understand. People who love God and follow God at times experience the oppression of the enemy. But now listen. Not one of God's people who is experiencing the oppression of the enemy is ever unnoticed by the Lord. In the middle of this crowd, Jesus noticed this woman. And isn't it beautiful 
how it's shared. Look at verse 12. It says this in verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you have been released. Perfect tense. You have been released from your disability. Now notice that. Isn't that just a picture of the Lord and His grace? He saw her as an individual. He called her. And then He healed her. And delivered her. You may feel unnoticed, but my friend, I want to tell you, the Lord sees you. He sees you. Jesus straightens things out. He straightens things out with His compassion for the bondage of the hurting. But now notice this. Jesus also straightens things out with the power over the bondage of hell. What do we learn about Jesus here? And we always have to ask ourselves a question as we're reading a passage in the Gospels. What are we learning about Jesus? Because these were written so that we might know Him. What do we learn about Jesus? We learn here again that He has power over the bondage of hell. And the power is in His Word. He called this woman and He spoke His words to her. And not only that, he could have healed her that way, but notice the Lord chose to heal her this way. He not only healed her with his word, he healed her with his touch. Isn't it beautiful? Verse 13, oh, what a beautiful scene. He laid his hands on her. Rabbi wasn't supposed to do that to a woman. But he took hold of her shoulders and he had spoken healing and she still bent, and yet he puts his hands on her shoulders and lifts her up so her face is looking into his face. Can you imagine that? What a moment. After 18 years of looking at the ground, someone touches you, and you look at his face. And it's the face of Jesus. Well, you can imagine the scene. I don't know if we can quite imagine her praise because she started praising God. She started praising the Lord. And, and she wouldn't be stopped. I still laugh when I think about my a story my dad told about my aunt, my great aunt. His dad was at a, my grandfather was at a Methodist camp meeting. And his sister got blessed by the Holy Spirit. And she got happy in the Lord and she started walking around that meeting praising God. And my grandfather thought, well, maybe it's just time. And he would walk up behind her and pat her, amen, sis, amen, sis, amen. Meaning settle down. You know what my great aunt said? Leave me alone, I'm Praising my Redeemer. <laughs> wow. This woman's praising her Redeemer. The synagogue is full of praise. 
Almost. Almost. Because there's always somebody, right? Most of the time more than somebody. But here's one of the frozen chosen. I'm going to call him Jack Frost. He's one of the frozen chosen of the congregation. He's the leader of the spiritual ice committee. He's going to try to cool things off lest they get out of hand here. I mean, hey, this is a synagogue, you know. Tries to cool things off. Well, he shows how uncool he is. Verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which to work, and that work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Wow. Now the Bible says that out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And this man out of his mouth is showing that right here is an ice chest. It's frozen in his heart. And he reveals how calloused he is. He has no love in his heart for his fellow man. He has no compassion on this woman. He's calloused. And he also reveals that he's a coward. Notice, he doesn't speak to Jesus personally. He doesn't confront Jesus personally. What's he do? He says to the people. To the people. He makes a public service announcement. There are six days to be healed. Come and be healed on one of those days. He's a coward. Won't speak to the one who's done the healing. But listen carefully, this man out of his mouth who can't enter into the praise and glory of God over a woman set free from the bondage of the enemy. He reveals that he is a conspirator with the devil and he is a contaminator of God's word. Why? Because he perverts the scriptures to try to get religious control over things. There are six days to work. And on the seventh day you're supposed to rest. Well, that's true. There were six days in the creation order. And God blessed the seventh day. He didn't need the rest. He wasn't tired. He ceased His creation. He ceased His creation. That's what Sabbath means. And He's set aside that, that day, that seventh day, as a holy day of blessing and rest for His people. And He made it mandatory, yes, on the people of Israel. Wasn't that terrible of Him to say... You have to take a day off every week. And your animals have to take a day off. 
every week. And you're to take that day off to enjoy your family and to rest your body and to commune with me. And remember me, that I am your God who blesses you. And here, in the very house of God, this leader had taken the word of God and rather than make it a blessing, he had perverted it to make it bondage. And my friend, that's still happening this very day. That people take this blessed book that sets people free and makes it into holy handcuffs. And it's not holy. It's unholy. God didn't send Jesus Christ to put people into bondage, but to set them free. And if He sets you free, you're free indeed. It's only perverted, man-made, selfish, self-centered religion that takes the Word of God and makes it a burden rather than a blessing. <laughs> what a phony this man is. I'm sorry, I just can't get away from him. I've been mad at him all week. <laughs> because I see too much of myself in him, I think. Well, what a phony. There are six days for people to come and be healed. Yeah, like you could do something tomorrow, you big phony. Like if she comes back, you're going to help her? No. Well... Jack Frost is about to be melted by the heat of the Lord's righteous anger. Jesus doesn't like this. Something. Jesus gets mad in worship service. Still does at times. And Jesus straightens things out. And I want you to see here's something else he straightens out. He straightens out with his anger... His anger over the bondage of hypocrisy. Verse 15 and 16, listen to Jesus. As he confronts this religious hypocrite and religious hypocrisy. He said, it says, then the Lord answer him, you hypocrites. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day untie his ox or his donkey from the manger, that's the feeding trough, and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus denounces this. He denounces this hypocrisy and the values of this hypocrisy. Notice he says hypocrites. This is hypocritical. And notice he makes it so clear. It, his logic is irrefutable. He, he argues from the less to the greater. If you untie a donkey if you loose a donkey are you saying that a human being a daughter of Abraham ought not to be loosed on the Sabbath day 
But notice he says, he didn't say hypocrite. Look, he said hypocrites. What's he doing? He is denouncing not just this hypocrisy, but he is denouncing a hypocritical value system. A hypocritical value system. This is happening everywhere. And Jesus is denouncing it in this situation. But he's denouncing the whole system behind it. He's speaking to the nation. He is calling out the nation. And saying this is a value system of hypocrisy. I love what commentator William Barclay said on this. Okay, He's a commentator on scriptures. William Barclay, not Charles Barclay. That's a different commentator. Okay. Listen to what William Barclay said. In Christianity, the individual comes before the system. It is true to say that without Christianity, there can be no such thing as democracy. Because Christianity alone guarantees and and defends the value of the ordinary individual person. If ever Christian principles are banished from the political and economic life, there is nothing left to keep at bay the totalitarian state where the individual is lost in the system and exists not for his own sake, but for the sake of the system. That was written decades ago. Sadly, in our society... There is no true value of the human life. As an image bearer of God. It's been lost. On this Mother's Day. Imagine, tragically, we have become a society. In God-blessed America, we have become a society where animals in the wild are protected, but babies in the womb are not. That is debased. That has nothing to do with human rights. That has nothing to do with protecting rights. That is a demonic, devilish attack on God Himself through the image bearers who are being formed in their mother's womb. The most dangerous place in a child's life in America is in his or her mother's womb. How much more terrible when a hypocritical value system not only permeates society, 
but it also is permitted in the church. Hypocritical value system in the church. I want you to listen again to William Barclay. I don't quote him very often. He's amazing in his insights. I don't quote him often because, quite frankly, his thinking is a little bit like my golf. <laughs> Always to the left and near trouble, okay? <laughs> but brilliant in his insights sometimes. Never more to my heart than this passage. I'm going to read you what he says about the church being infiltrated. Listen carefully. Strangely enough, quote, This worship of systems commonly invades the church. There are many people, it would be a mistake to call them Christian people, who are more concerned with the method of church government than they are with the worship of God and the service of men. It is all too tragically true that more trouble and strife arises in churches over legalistic details of procedure than any other thing. In the world and in the church, we are constantly in peril of loving systems more than we love God and we love people. Wow. We are constantly in danger in the church even of loving systems more than we love God and we love people. Valuing sacred systems more than a sacred mission. Valuing the way we've done it rather than what we're called to do. My friend, the truth is there are no sacred spaces. There's just sacred purposes. At West Park, we cannot allow that to happen. You hear me, church? We cannot allow that to happen. We must be mission-driven. What is our mission? Our mission is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and see them develop as disciples who love God, love people, and impact the world. That's our mission. We don't exist for anything but the mission. We came into existence because of the mission. Sixty years ago almost, we'll be celebrating it this September. Some people on mission began this church. And this church exists for that mission. We do not exist to sustain traditions. Someone as well said, tradition is a clock that tells you what time it was. <laughs> thank you, Lisa. <laughs> we're, we're right here. Okay, thank you. I don't know where the rest of you were, but... <laughs> tradition is a clock that tells you what time it was. There's nothing wrong with tradition. 
as long as it does not get in the way of the moment-by-moment mission. The mission. We must, as a church, be purpose-focused. Purpose-focused. Mission-driven, purpose-focused. What is our purpose? It's to connect people with Christ. Connect people in community. And connect them with the cause of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our priority. We want to connect people with Christ in worship. We want to connect people in community as followers of the Lord in group ministry. And we want to connect people to the cause by helping folks be equipped for their mission that they have from Christ and releasing them to serve on that mission. That's why we exist. And dear friends, elders, our elders and staff for months have been evaluating how we can accomplish that more effectively. It is a very wise thing to remember this, never waste a crisis. Because it gives you opportunity to evaluate things you would not have evaluated in other seasons. And we have had opportunity to evaluate How can we more effectively carry out the mission that the Lord has given us here in this body, in this community, and in this world? And I'm thankful that our elders have affirmed recommendations for us to implement that are going to help us Be more focused and effective as a church serving Christ into our seventh decade, Lord willing. We'll be talking some more about that in the weeks ahead. Let me close with this. I promise I close even though you've not been listening nearly quickly enough. (laughs) Just these takeaways. How does Jesus straighten out our lives? (laughs) Because folks, guess what? Every one of us here, we're all crooked. (laughs) No, don't, 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 mm -mm. don't, don't get that Jack Frost look about you, okay? You're crooked. (laughs) And I'm not so hot myself. We're all sinners. But God in His loving grace, as only He can, you know what the Lord can do? The Lord can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. How does He straighten us out? He straightens us out by the power of His loving grace. My friend, there are so many of us, we're bowed down. Some people here today, you're bowed down. Bowed down in different ways. You're bowed down maybe by sin in your life. You're bowed down by suffering. People are suffering here. Suffering next door. Suffering. They can't even be with us. Some here are bowed down in sorrow. 
And you've entered into the, a valley of sorrow that you don't know how you can even breathe sometimes. And some of you are bowed down by situations that have come upon you unexpectedly. And there doesn't seem to be a reason, a rhyme. Why? And it's oppressing you. My friend, listen. Read the Word of God. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you bowed down. And He loves you. And He's calling you. And you come to Him. And no one who ever came to Jesus with that kind of bowed down spirit ever experienced anything but His loving hands lifting them up and looking right in their face and telling them, you're free. You're not in bondage. You're not Something, someone who cannot be used. You're free. How do we stay straight? By practicing His loving grace. You know how to stay straight? Let Lord straighten you out with grace and then be gracious. How about that? How about go pass on? Don't be a Dead Sea Christian. Dead Sea Christian just receives, receives, receives the river of God's blessing and doesn't share it with anyone else. That's the reason the Dead Sea is dead. There's no outlet. The Lord wants us to be a spring of living water. Him flowing up in us and out from us and refreshing people, not condemning See people, friends. See them. Do you see people? See them. The Lord will help you. See people. And when you see them, believe that's a call on you to serve them. Oh, and you'll know the grace of God. You'll know the joy in your heart. And you can get out of the Jack Frost Club. And then God keeps us straight by the promise of His living grace. Friend, this world is crooked. It's twisted and perverted. But one day, glorious day, the King is coming. He's going to straighten it out. He's going to straighten this crooked world out. And there's going to be a new world. That's realigned like it once was in paradise. Realigned with the children of God in the presence of God. In perfect communion and bliss. Serving Him and worshiping Him. Rejoicing in Him forever and ever. The Lord Jesus Christ died as a lamb and He's coming as a lion. To straighten things out. To bring the rule of the lion and the peace of the lamb. When I was a teenager, we had an assistant pastor come to work with us. His name was Leonard Dice. He's now over 90 and still preaches up in Illinois. And he had a son, Ricky, who was mentally disabled. 
And Ricky took a liking to me and he followed me around all my teenage years. Many, many times that mentally handicapped but so sweet young man would come up to me when I was just a teenager and he'd say, Sam, we're going to be all better when we get to heaven. Well, Ricky knew about my brother Lloyd who was severely mentally disabled. Many times, Ricky would come to me when I was a teenager and when I was older and would come home to visit. I'd see him. He'd say, Sam, in heaven, Lloyd is going to be all better. Ricky died last year, and my brother died three years ago, and I want to tell you, now Ricky and Lloyd are all better. But my friend, you're bowed down, and you're, and you're sick of the oppression and the perversion, and you're tired of your own weakness and your failures. I want you to hear the promise through Jesus. It's by grace alone. Hear the promise. The king's coming. And one day, we're all going to be all better. <laughs> we're going to be all better. I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's bow our heads. Our heads bowed. We're not going to sing as we often do, but I just want to send us out with reflection. And I want us to think just for this moment and listen to the Spirit's voice. Oh friend, bow down with any sorrow, sin, situation. Bow down. Jesus sees you. He loves you. He's calling you. And He will put His hands on you and He'll let you know that He knows and He'll give you strength. He'll give you freedom in your spirit. And I want to encourage you, don't leave with that burden. I'm here, other pastors are here, prayer partners are here. We're not Jesus, but we can in Jesus' name <laughs> look you in the face, tell you the Lord sees you and we see you. And he loves you and we love you. And we put our hands on you in his name and pray for you. And we count it a privilege to do that. And always know that there's always people here 24-7, 24-7. 
we'll do anything we can to let you know that the Lord sees you. He cares. You're loved by Him. And we will do our very best to love you in Jesus' name. And now, O oh Lord, gracious Savior and King, thank you that you came. Lord Jesus, you came as the second Adam to keep all the commands of the Father and take the sins of all the sons and daughters of Adam on yourself and to suffer to deliver this sin-cursed world to a renewed existence of paradise. Lord, this is our hope. And now let us share that hope. Let us be people of hope. And as we leave here, Lord, use us, help us by your Spirit to see people and to serve people with gospel love in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.